everybody, and welcome to the final Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast of 2023. I am Gareth, greater of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. We also have Skewed and Review, the magazine. Our new issue is out with the Holiday Gift Guide. You can catch us at Pinal Central. We do radio, a little bit of some news coming on that. Uh, part of the shows that I'm on are changing stations, so we're still working out that, but it, just know it's radio. And uh, I'm joined this week with Justin. Michael is away watching his alma mater um, uh, play in a bowl game. I have uh, mine playing in one of the four championship bowls uh, over the weekend, so... Uh, good luck to all of them. And so we're going to do a quick little recap of some of uh, the best films and games of the year, as well as talk about some topical news, preview some stuff coming up. Uh, no particular order. I'm a voting critic, member of the Phoenix Film Critics Society, and uh, some of our favorite films, my favorite films of the year, we did our whole list. Uh, naturally, my selections don't always fall in line with... Um, their uh, ones, like, for example, the group pick Killers of the Flower Moon as their best picture. I actually chose Maestro. I thought that was a, a better film for, you know, my taste. But I was very closely split with Oppenheimer. But we also had things like Poor Things uh, included. Now, uh, Oppenheimer was the one that I was very heavy on um there's some great films out there that are you know just now getting some attention like the boys in the boat and uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, award season coming up has to say about um about that because you know we're getting to that time of year the celebrities are back um you know ferrari i i was also very big on the color purple i thought wonka was charming not saying that i would put it up for a best picture or anything like that. But, you know, when I look at the films, I look at what were the things that I really, really enjoyed this year. I was surprised Napoleon didn't get more love with the awards. Um, you know, that seemed to be something that I thought was tailor-made with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and that sort of stuff. But it was a pretty interesting year. I mean, people talk about all the disappointments at the box office and, films that didn't make the numbers that they were hoping that they would. But at the same time, you had a lot of films do fairly well. So, you know, be very curious to see what the new year holds uh, for it. So with that being said, we're going to change gears and move over to um, some of the video game elements from this year. And what we were looking at is, uh, you know, I actually enjoyed Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. I know a lot of people weren't too big on it because they felt, well, it was recycled maps, it was DLC content, so on and so forth. Uh, but I also felt there were some really interesting things to take note of this year. I mean, I don't think uh, Aliens Dark Descent uh, got the amount of love that it should have. That was a very solid game. Uh, Diablo 4, I thought, was quite solid and entertaining, despite its uh, flaws. Because, you know, sometimes it's not always this is the best technical game. It's what is really enjoyable. I think from a VR standpoint, I really enjoyed the Dark Picture Switchback. 
Um, you know, Star Wars Galaxies, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge coming to the PSVR 2, I thought was a lot of fun. It, uh, you know, obviously we can't go without saying uh, uh, plenty of good things about Hogwarts Legacy. I actually did not mind uh, Callisto Protocol and the Dead Space remake. So, you know, there were things there that I felt definitely uh, worked with the context of what was going on. A lot of people have pointed out I haven't played, had the chance to play all of these, but, um, you know, Jedi Fallen Order 2, uh, I thought was quite, or Jedi Survivor is what I should call it, uh, was quite enjoyable, even though I did get frustrated with all the time jumps and stuff on it. A lot of people were very big on the uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, the Spider-Man 2, Baldur's Gate 3, so, you know, Alan Wake 2, a lot of stuff, a lot of good choices. So as we, you know, kind of move away from that, Justin and I are going to talk about some of the interesting uh, things this year. So, for example, uh, Metacritic had pointed out that they like Past Lives, Boy in the Heron, um, you know, many of the films that I had mentioned. But they also mentioned Taylor Swift's Eras Tour as best film. So that kind of, you know, made people wonder a little bit. Video game wise, we kind of talked uh, pretty much uh, similar, but what I found really interesting was a few days ago, we had a talk of Marvel's Blade uh, being revealed and that it was going to be developed by Arcane, uh, the folks behind Dishonored 2, Deathloop, uh, you know, Redfall. And uh, Justin, uh, this is what really struck me as odd. So we had the big reveal during uh, the recent game awards. And now they're saying that the target date is 2027 at the earliest. Do you find it odd that they would announce a game so far out? Because traditionally, a game this far out is usually not anything more than a concept uh, and maybe a couple of tech demos. You know, <laughs> you expect them to be further along before they make an announcement because sometimes the vision doesn't match and this is exactly the kind of thing that gets kaput i mean let's not forget we heard all about this indiana jones game years ago and we've never heard anything more than an announcement what do you make of all this yeah i i think uh you always run that risk so um you know it can be a tr it's a tricky thing when to announce you know um a lot of times a company needs some kind of excitement to kind of drive um, their marketing season, you know, get people uh, roaring for what's coming next. And if you look at the rough uh, time frame it takes to make a big AAA game, it's usually somewhere between five and six years. So if it's coming out of 2027 at the earliest, it, that's pretty early in the cycle. I, I think you look at examples where this tends to backfire. Cyberpunk 2077 was announced way too early. So was Bioshock Infinite. Those are two examples that often get pointed to. Um, where Duke Nukem Forever. Right, yeah. Uh, where basically Cyberpunk 2077 was uh, that no work had been done when it was announced when they created that CG trailer. And the, the problem with announcing so early is that you start to create this... There, there's there was, well, there's two found problems. So you start to one create this momentum of hype that starts to build, and people 
will kind of get in their heads. Oh, you know, as the years go on, the, the, their expectations start to rise and rise and rise. Um, so that when, by the time cyberpunk 2077 came out, it didn't meet people's expectations. Uh, and there were a lot of problems with it. Uh, you also have this other issue where people start to wonder as the years go on, Oh, is, are there problems behind the scenes? What's going on? Why, why aren't we seeing more about this game? Uh, so it tends to be, I think a little bit of a better decision to wait a little bit, you know, the, Nintendo model tends to be, you know, show off a game. They might announce a game early, but they'll show it off uh, pretty much when it's done, um, which tends to be pretty exciting for people. They get to see an almost finished product uh, and they only have to wait like a couple months for it. So that tends to be a little bit of a better move. But I can also understand their from their perspective, uh, the, the, the producing company obviously wants people to be excited. They want things to show at these big events so that's the other part of it where you know uh people they need to garner some kind of momentum and uh it's it's just one of those tricky situations where they have to balance uh generating hype with um realistic expectations you know it's so tricky about putting something out that far I fully believe from working with games and covering them for years, there's a very real point to out of sight, out of mind. You know, you sit here and you tell me, hey, I got a Blade game coming. I've got an Indiana Jones game coming. Okay, great. So let's take Indiana Jones. Here we are years later. No title, no trailer, no release date, no updates. So what does that tell me? Well, I can, you know, you're going to have the rumor mill start to go, there's problems with it. It's not meeting expectations. It's not coming out. It's fallen behind the back burner, that sort of thing. And then, of course, you get all the, oh, you know, uh, they're more interested in this. And, you know, you got to kind of question, look at the whole larger picture with Bethesda. They go out and they announce Elder Scrolls VI, and then they say, oh, it's years away. They go and announce this, and then they come out and say, oh, it's years away. And you get people sitting here going, yeah, aren't you the guys behind Redfall and Starfield? And, you know, I'm not saying Starfield's a bad game. I was just playing it the other week. But there is a sizable number of people that said it has not met expectations. People say that about Fallout 76. They went and they patched it up. I'm playing the new... Uh, Atlantic City excursions right now, it's been very enjoyable to jump back in after a long while. I'm kind of at the point where I only play it now whenever the new, uh, you know, updates or special events come in. Point of the matter is it, there, there is a real trick between timeliness and um, too soon. And I've always felt that, you know, we come back to the whole E3 thing where they said, well, we don't want to be under the burden of trying to have product available uh, to show by a certain date. And there's a part of me that says, okay, I get that. But then there's another part of me that says, if you don't at least have a trailer to show, a solid trailer with some kind of gameplay, maybe you shouldn't be showing talking about it. Now, again, I know that there's the argument of, well, we don't want to do this because... 
what it looks like now isn't the way it's going to look in a few years. But, you know, I've always felt that you've got to have some kind of confidence behind your product. And essentially, if you don't have anything viable to show, then perhaps that is not the time to be revealing your product. I mean, you know, you, you look at uh, Grand Theft Auto 6. Now, yeah, we can say, oh, well, they didn't have gameplay and they didn't have this. Correct. But they at least had a trailer to show us. They had a cinematic trailer and, you know, the game's still a ways off, but at least they gave us something. And so that's kind of where I'm I'm leaning with this going. It, it almost I, I hate to say this, but it almost strikes me as we're so desperate to make some hype. We're going to reveal something, even though it is so far away from being a viable product at this point. And that's, you know, I, I yeah, it, it's just so tricky. It's just, you know, it'd be like saying, um, you know, take any product and say, hey, you know, well, you know, swing, switch gears, swing over to movies. It's like, can you imagine them announcing a movie and then saying, oh, yeah, but it's going to be at least till 2027 when it comes out? Yeah, it'd be like saying, hey, we got a new Star Wars movie and it's coming in 2027. And everyone's like, OK, great. And then you don't hear anything about it for ages. People will forget about it and start paying attention to something else. And so then we get, hey, you know what? Uh, things weren't meeting expectations. It's been pushed back or we're not going to do it and we're moving on to something else. I mean, I, I'm very concerned. I'm hoping that we see something. But when you come out and say that something is at least, you know, that far off, it does make you wonder, uh, you know, what we're going to get. Now, one other thing I wanted to swing to uh, that I thought this was quite hysterical, Justin. I know you had told me you had not heard about this. And I just heard about this today, so I'm going to run this through you. Um, 20th Century Studios and Penguin Random House are teaming up to bring a preschool-aimed book uh, set with the Alien franchise. Now, I thought it was a joke when I first heard of it. Apparently, it is absolutely legit. Uh, next year is the 45th anniversary of the franchise. That is hard to believe, but 45 years of Alien. And we all know there's a lot of stuff coming. We've got the movie coming that's uh, right now called Alien Romulus. We've heard uh, talk of a game coming. I've heard, uh, you know, one with VR element might even have a Dead Space type play gameplay to it. We know about the television series. Obviously, there'll be more books. There'll be more comics. There'll be more toys, that sort of thing. But just in this one, this one uh, cracks me up. So here's the synopsis. In space, no one can hear you giggle. This little golden book will feature the characters from the classic movie Alien, follow Ripley and the rest of the Nostromo crew on a space adventure that introduces the alphabet from A to Z. Whether C is for chestburster or face is for F is for facehugger will be actual thing. We'll have to wait and see. Now, this is where it cracks me up. The book is targeted for children two to five years old, and it will release on July 9th, 2024, one month before Alien Romulus is set to hit the theaters on uh, August 16th. Now, what do you make of them, and are they setting themselves up for controversy, for people saying, 
how could you essentially aim an R-rated film uh, at children? Uh, yeah, so, so you you bring up a good point, but uh, as a, just a little aside as a story. So I uh, in college I I did a um, I did a short um, volunteer work uh, at a uh, boys and girls club, and it was basically like read you know, read to kids kind of thing. And I got paired up with this little boy who, um, you know, I had him pick out whatever book he wanted to read and I'd, I'd read it with him. And he reached into this pile of books and he pulled out an art book for Alien vs. Predator Requiem. How that, how that ended up in the Boys and Girls Club, I have no, I have no idea. But we obviously shared a little bit of a, of a common interest. So... I asked him to. I asked him if he saw the movie first. He said yes, and I had. I asked him if he could ex, if he could tell me what the plot was, and his his version of the plot for Alien vs Predator Requiem was better than the actual movie. So you you joke, but uh, but I, I guess maybe there is a little bit of a um, of a market for this. Uh, all jo- joking aside, it's it's kind of an odd choice. Um, I, I I don't really think there will be much controversy because I'm going to be honest. I'm pro- this will probably fly under the radar. Uh, it it reminds me of there's a there actually is a comic series aimed at children for Warhammer 40k, which is also kind of an odd choice. Very grim, dark uh, series that's not very kid friendly, um, but it's one of those kind of funny, strange marketing choices that uh, some some companies make. I don't think it will really catch on, but uh, you know, it does make you scratch your head a little bit, uh, wondering who's who's actually going to buy this for their ch- for their child, uh, and you know, timing it with Alien or uh, Alien Requiem or um, Alien Romulus rather, it's kind of a strange choice too, because who's going to buy this and then read it with their their child and go, oh, let's go watch, you know, this R rated movie right after, so. Uh, I, it's it seems too separate to me to um you know uh they're they're two separate worlds if if that makes sense so i but i don't think it will really be that controversial it's just to me kind of an odd choice i think one of the things they're counting on is people like you and i might run out and buy it and i think what they're trying to say is hey if you have children and you're an alien fan Maybe you check this out because remember we did have that. Uh, didn't they put out that one children's book about jo- you know the whole story from Jones the Cat's perspective and stuff like that? And I think that did fairly well. And I I've been trying to figure this out. Going so my granddaughter's seven. Would I sit and read this to her? Absolutely, I would. Now uh, that being said, I'm also kind of that ghoulish one that you know. Obviously, you don't let the kids watch horror films, but I do remember watching the original Jaws with my younger sisters, and, you know, they were laughing at some of the more intense parts of the film just because, you know, kids have that twisted streak to them sometimes. And it would be interesting to see how that works out. I think it's kind of one of those they look at it and go, it's a nostalgic thing that people and collectors might grab. At the same time, I'm sure someone said, hey, we've got long-term plans for this franchise. This is a good way to get them indoctrinated in. So when they do become older 
they go back and watch the old films and they have a new it's it's an interesting way but you know let's not forget too that when this movie was coming out you remember that whole thing we talked about uh, about the kenner about the full-size figure and how they kenner you know jumped in and bought the uh, rights to do toys for the thing not even understanding that it was going to be a graphic intense r-rated film and they made these you know pretty scary alien toys and you know because at the time they bought the rights all they knew was it was a big science fiction franchise that was coming so they didn't want to miss out and then they started to see the designs and it was like we're going to make this pg right and they're like no this is an r-rated film and this is not made for children so ah crazy crazy things in the world i just i saw that today and i just said that is just so different we have to bring that out so uh, another thing i wanted to discuss with you justin is that last year uh before everything really went wacky uh as you know as, as we've been going for years and uh we were at CinemaCon and we had the various studio heads come out including warner brother discovery ceo david zasloff and he showed off a lot of interesting things dune part two color purple uh, we saw Wonka, we saw the Nun 2, the, you know, the, the, the uh, Meg, the Trench, all of that. They brought the stars out for many of the films, showed off their big lineup. And he talked about, um, you know, we understand that we're the guardian of these stories and stuff like that. And our job is to make sure that not only are the past films preserved, but the few that you know the stuff is there for the future because we have to watch over this stuff and then hand it off and of course right after that we got all of the stuff about all the cost cutting and the movies that are going to be unreleased just for the make uh, for the purpose of taxes a lot of people we've speculated that warner brothers was up for sale and of course we heard the names like universal apple so on and so forth and then out of the blue, about a week ago, we got news that uh, they can, they did indeed confirm that they have been exploring a deal about merging with Paramount. And, you know, some people thought, okay, this is interesting. But ironically, um, according to The Hollywood Reporter, shares of Warner Brothers Discovery dropped the moment it came out that they had been indeed uh, talking because... Investors are saying they have a hard time seeing a deal and equate it to catching a falling a knife or a financial death sentence. And I thought, now that's rather interesting, but they are looking at it saying they prefer Warner Brother Discovery as standalone because their concern is that the merger of the two companies, uh, which you know would have everything from like HBO, TNT, TBS, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, uh, BET and MTV all merged together. There's just so much debt that would be uh, coming in. Like, for example, one person said uh, Warner Brothers buying Paramount would be a combined revenue revenue of 72 billion. However, um, he talks about you know it, it gets very complicated taking on debt, taking on uh, you know commitments, that sort of thing. And essentially, the short-term hit would take 
a long term to dig out of. And if there were pitfalls along the way, it would only make a bad situation uh, worse. So um, what do you make of this? Do you think this will go through or do you think this is just the first step? Some people have said this is probably nothing more than the first steps to get a other bitter in the process. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think it will go through, at least in the current stage. I, I think we're probably a ways off if this is something that will come about. Uh, we, you know, if you remember previous, more recent uh, mergers like Fox and Disney took a very, very long time to materialize. Because yeah, Comcast um, was in the mix and Disney just kept up upping the offer. Right. Um, so I feel like just based on what the reporting is right now, it's very much of an exploratory phase kind of thing. And I get kind of nervous with, with this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally, obviously totally fine with, you know, mergers uh, in general. But um, when you're talking about companies of this size, I, I do get a little nervous about it because our, our options for, uh, for competing media, uh, conglomerates are are dwindling uh it seems so um it doesn't seem like there's as much competition as there used to be um but like i said i don't really think this is something that will materialize until there are more uh serious discussions and serious proposals usually this kind of thing goes through multiple phases where you know multiple proposals are made um and rejected and and uh yeah it's not something that happens quickly so i'm guessing this will be negotiated for a long time it's just something that they're probably exploring as an option but it i guess one thing it does show is that um that there is at least a little bit of appetite for it which means that it could happen in the future it might not be this particular merger but someone else might come in with a better deal or uh, who knows? Um, but it, it what it does show is that there is an appetite for it um, if they're talking about it. So um, it is something to watch probably in the next year or so, uh, the next couple years. But uh, just one of those things that we'll have to keep an eye on. Yeah, and that is really interesting because... As I told you uh, before we started tonight, I was actually off watching uh, Godzilla minus one, and there were a lot of trailers for some smaller, uh, like Angel Studios, I believe is what it was called. They have one about a nun, you know, doing work in turn century. There was one of a World War II era drama, and it got me thinking. Going with these big box office misfires that we've had with all these studios trying to cut, uh, you know, bait. Are we going to see play, uh, you know, like a 24 neon and some of these smaller companies start to rise to prominence with the more modestly budgeted films, uh, where, hundred million dollars is a box office success, not a disappointment, you know, where it is the time where the studios go, wow, if we don't make five, 600 million at the box office where we've lost money on this, the big question is going to be, you know, you have to create stuff that people want to see. And 
while these films certainly looked interesting, they did not look like something that's going to drive the mass market out. And, you know, we talked about the analysts are saying they're predicting a big, uh, possibly as much as a billion dollar drop at the domestic box office in 2024, but they expect it to rebound in 2025. And yet we have talked about it, and I'm not going to go into all of it, uh, but we've talked about the projected lineup for this coming year is quite impressive. There are a lot of very large films. There are a lot of films that can potentially bust the box office, everything from, you know, a new Godzilla film, Deadpool 3, um, you know, Dune Part 2, and that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg, the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, so on and so forth, Ghostbusters, Frozen Empire, you know, on and on and on. Uh, And then on top of it, there is obviously going to be the horror films that always come in at low budgets and then end up, you know, you know, cleaning house. If the uh, new offerings from Dune and Marvel, uh, other than Deadpool, I mean, I, I would think Deadpool 3 is going to do quite well. I'm just very curious to see what the future is going to hold because there's a lot of potential. And then, of course, what I wanted to close with tonight is we talked about streaming quite a bit. Uh, We're getting a lot of reports that Prime Video, Netflix, and others are not only launching but are exploring uh, essentially putting ads in the mix. And if you want to go completely ad-free now, you're going to have to pay even more. And I, you know, I was kicking it around going, some of our streaming services have ads, some of them do not. I generally manage, like, for example, if you're on Freebie or Tubi, you get ads and stuff. But then there are some that they come at you right at the beginning and say, okay, hey, we're going to give you a 90-second ad here, and that's basically it. And then others, you know more frequently. So what is your take on this? Do you think this is going to kill uh, or at least be another huge burden to streaming uh, having to put ads in the mix? I definitely think it'll be a controversial choice. Um, You know, just me personally, it does rub me the wrong way a little bit. I'm already a paying customer. And I I guess part of that is just, it's a kind of a cultural thing, I think, where people's attitudes are uh, changed a little bit about this where um, for the last probably decade, decade, a uh, couple decades, actually, when you're, when you subscribe to some kind of service or, you know, maybe even if it's uh, like a news website or something, um, it's kind of been ingrained that, okay, if I'm a subscriber to X, X, Y, or Z, I'm going to get an ad free experience. That's kind of just been the expectation. It's just one of those, I think societal kind of larger scale things that have have been kind of ingrained as a norm for a while, because that was kind of the premium that comes with the subscription. It's, uh, you know, I get an ad free experience. I get some kind of other uh, goodies. Um, But with rising costs and the the way that things are budgeted now, uh, it's obvious that they're, they're having to come up with new ways to, to monetize and if, if that means that there's now a tiered based system then that's that's probably one of the things that they're going to look at but it's i'm just going to say from from my perspective it's going to be a tough sell for a lot of people 
there will be a lot of complaints about it. A lot of people will say, uh, well, look, I already, I already pay, uh, I, you know, I already pay a subscription. I already, I should get the premium experience. I've been a loyal customer for X, Y, or Z years. Uh, why, why should I have to sit through ads? Um, when I've been, you know, paying you, uh, monthly for so long, um, that will be an argument for some people. And then there'll be a lot of people that will just accept it because at the end of the day, uh, you know, if it's just like a 90 second ad in front of your 40 minute television series, um, it, a lot of people will, will probably just, uh, uh, say it's okay. So there'll, there'll be a lot of responses to it, but it will, there will be a lot of discussion about it, um, as well. I think a lot of people will take issue with it. And it's one of those things that I, I don't really know what's going to happen because, uh, if it's controversial enough, then they're going to have to come up with even more creative ways to try to, to monetize, um, and get around it. Um, but, uh, we're kind of in a new era where, um, streaming services are kind of tightening their, their selections are dwindling a little bit and becoming more, uh, exclusive, um, and with, with that, I think what we're going to end up seeing is different tiered systems uh, where there's probably going to be like a bronze, silver, gold uh, type subscription uh, list where you can kind of pay for a more premium service. Um, so that that's probably and the other thing, too, is that, that they could do is they could maybe put ads in front of only something. So maybe a movie releases um and then like its first weekend it has ads and then later it doesn't i don't know there, there's a lot of creative things that they could probably do behind the scenes but um we're gonna kind of find out in the next year or so what, what it's gonna look like i think the trick with it is quality over quantity if you're gonna do it and be um clever like i said i don't mind when you put it at the beginning or the end of the show i prefer that toward this if they come at you and say look um at your current price range now that you're paying for no ads, you're going to get to keep your service, but you're going to get ads. Or if you want no ads, now it's going to cost more. They're going to have, like you said, they're going to have some people upset. At the same time, we also know these prices go up. So my question would be, okay, what are you going to do with this extra revenue? Now, if we start to see better quality shows if we start to see really consistent, uh, you know, improvement, then we're there. But if we get this situation where, um, you know, you, you take a service where they have a very hot show and this is the show and you're going to get one episode a week. And then the moment it ends, um, it's going to be a while until you see something else. You know, we go back to Disney plus here they had a plan where each week was going to be some new Marvel or Star Wars content. Now, obviously, the strikes put a kibosh on that, but at least you could see the direction that they were attempting to go. You know, you have a situation with HBO Max. They've been maligned, but they had a pretty clever bit where they said, okay, we've got the White Lotus. We have got the Game of Thrones We've got the Gilded Age. You know, you can go through. They had several popular shows. Now, admittedly, some were saying, well, that's just one thing. They would, you know, put out one show. You would get a fresh episode every week. After eight weeks, ten weeks, that ends. Then all of a sudden, here comes the next one. And that's kind of how they kept people in 
so they weren't saying, fine, I'm going to cancel after this one, then that's great. It's nice to have your signature shows. I very much enjoy uh, having something to come back and watch. But you got to have something more to it. You know, like right now, we're watching Reacher on Prime Video. Prime Video has been a very good outlet. And I'm, of course, we use the other services that come with it. It's been a very good outlet, especially if you like some of the more lower budget or older science fiction horror films. They've got tons of those. You know, I remember a few years ago in the summertime, just trying to find like some of the most obscure horror films that I could remember from my childhood and boom, there they were bang, 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 watch them out. And that's a great thing. That being said, I'm also looking at it going, okay, um, we got through the boys spinoff. I'm watching Reacher right now. We do know there's a new season of the boys coming in 2024, but, and I, and of course I'm big on prime video and, you know, for sports and that sort of thing. But I could see someone saying, okay, this is nice, and you have a lot of other stuff. Where's your signature show? And, you know, if you want it to be really, really cynical, you could say, well, where's that Event Horizon series that you talked about? You know, how far out is the new season of uh, The Lord of the Rings out? You know, what is the next big thing? Now, they'll, of course, come back and say, well, we've got this, and we've got this, and we've got this, and that's fine. But the point is, if you're going to come out and say, hey, by the way, we're going to put ads in with our stuff, I think you got to have something to go with it and say, and because of that, that's why we're going to have this, 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 and this. And that's that's a tricky thing because I've had so many people saying it's getting like cable. You know, you probably remember, Justin, when cable TV was first offered into many homes there was only like eight to 12 channels. You didn't have an HBO East, West, South, you know, Spanish. You got HBO. That was it. And that was your premium cable. And their thing was, hey, folks, we're going to give you content that you cannot get anywhere else. It's going to be completely uncensored, and it's going to be com completely commercial-free. Now, with those, you got super stations like TBS and uh, WGN out of Chicago. And that, of course... One of their big advantages was they brought Atlanta Braves baseball and Chicago Cubs baseball nationwide. So, you know, I remember being able to sit there and back then the Cubs did not have lights at their stadium and they played their home games during the day. You could flick on the TV and boom, there was a Chicago Cubs game that you could watch in the afternoon if you didn't watch. But that also came with commercials. And so it was kind of one of those that you looked at it and said, all right, my HBO is my commercial-free viewing. I understand if I watch WGN, TBS, this, this, or this, there are going to be commercials with it. However, under that scenario, it's essentially, oh, by the way, not only are prices going up, now we're throwing commercials on what used to be previously uh, commercial-free. That's where I think you're going to run into a problem. You know, at least they're saying, well, yeah, you can still be commercial free, but you got to pay more. And it, it's a tough call because you can play devil's advocate on both sides of it. On one hand, you can say this is what could kill streaming because it's becoming like cable. On the flip side, you can say yes, but unlike cable, it's a la carte. I don't have to take all these different channels I don't want to get the 
ones that I do. I have the option to pay more for ads. I have the option to pay uh, to, to be ad free, or I have the option to pay a smaller rate and deal with the ads. It's all about choice, you know. The flip side of it is, look at what we've discussed. The cost of these shows are becoming more and more. I, I always joke about um, the Star Wars TV series. A lot of people don't know, uh, have forgotten about this. Years and years ago, there was talk uh, before the sequels and all of this that there was going to be a Star Wars TV series. This is back when George Lucas still ran everything. They had five years all scripted out. Apparently the scripts are all done. They're still sitting there. And I remember at the time, uh, the estimation was, well, these are going to cost between 7 to $10 million an episode to do. It was considered at that time to be far too extravagant for any um, television product because then there was this whole... Well, what, you know, you don't own the television network, you have to share the revenue, DVDs, merchandise, all of the cable, right, all of that stuff. Well, now we look at it and go, 10 million an episode for Game of Thrones, for The Mandalorian, any of the Star Wars stuff, any of the Marvel episodes, that's right in that wheelhouse. And that's 10 million today. You know, some will say, well, uh, some say that some of the episodes cost even more than that. So you do have this whole situation where the costs are going up. I mean, you know, you, you look at, um, let's take any of the Marvel series that recently aired, Not, and I'm not referring to the animated one. People will say, well, that's on par with what a theatrical film is costing, $200 million. We've also heard stories like the new Blade movie is going to be done around $60 million because they're having a look at things and saying, gee, you know, uh, maybe $200 million is not the way that we should be going for every single Marvel film. That might work for an Avengers movie for a, you know, Captain Marvel film or uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Maybe we need to be more budget conscious. So, Hard to say. And, you know, at the same time, you look at Netflix. They're sitting here going, hey, we got Beverly Hills Cop 4 coming out. Our Axel F, as it's called, but, you know, for old school people, Beverly Hills Cop 4. You look at the trailer, it doesn't look like they've skimped on production in any way, shape, or form. We have the upcoming seasons of the new Star Trek shows on Paramount+. Plus. Also, does not look like they skimp on production in any way, shape, or form. Costs are going up competition for subscribers so i guess this is their their you know big thing okay uh we show a few ads on it we can afford to lose a couple subscribers for each person that buys ads and still keep the quality up uh, hard to say so uh final word on this justin let's take a look at 2024 what are you looking forward to most in the field of entertainment so i gotta go with uh two so I'll do one movie and one game. So and they're both early in the year. So um, I, I might throw in a couple other things. So um, for movies, Dune Part Two certainly. I think that's my number one movie. I'm looking forward to. Um, I love the first one. Huge fan of the book. Um, this is where a lot of things get really exciting. So 
Um, I'm lo really looking forward to that one. Uh, as far as the games, um, the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two for PS5 um, comes out, I think, in February, so I'm really looking forward to that. That seems to be a big focus of Sony's. It's a big kind of... It seems to be a focus on all of their um, their directs, uh, their, their state of plays um, recently. So I think that's going to be a big one. I really liked the first one a lot. Um, big fan of the original game. And uh, it's not like a you know usual remake where they just do one-to-one. -one. They're kind of doing new things with it. So um, I think that's going to be a big one. Uh, I'll throw in a, lo a little bone here too, just a pure speculation. Uh, I think this year we might see we fi might finally see Metroid Prime 4 from Nintendo. Um, we haven't that was announced many years ago at this point. Uh, going back full circle to our first topic, um, that was definitely a game that was announced way too soon. Um, but uh, we haven't seen a single inkling of it. But I think this year will probably be the year they show it off. Maybe we get the Switch Part 2 shown off. Maybe we get a PS5 Pro. Uh, a lot of things to look forward to. Um, but again, a lot of the things I just said were speculation. But as far as concrete things, Dune Part 2, Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2, um, those are uh, what I'm looking forward to. Oh, that's great. Mine are a little more um, basic. I, I'm basically looking forward to hopefully conventions expanding uh, a bit more like uh, more companies from the gaming side actually coming back. But what I'm looking forward to is uh, shows like WonderCon and San Diego Comic-Con having the actors, actresses and writers back. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, I, I do think that there were a lot of announcements that were basically sat on that, um, you know, of course, the whole instability in Hollywood. Uh, but I, I do think that there was a lot of projects that people have been waiting for. And the fact that the showcases where these announcements are usually made were not available in terms of having the talent on hand that they wanted to have the maximum effect. So I'm really curious to see. Um, you know, I think there'll be a lot of energy behind these things. I'm very, very curious to see. Uh, you know, what kind of announcements, especially with a lot of shows are wrapping it up this year as part of the cost cutting and so on and so forth. So we're going to have all kinds of new shows announced. We're going to have, um, you know, some returning things, but I I'm really curious to see what they're really going to announce, what they're going to throw their PR and support behind. I'm very anxious to see the energy uh, behind that. And I'm also very curious to see these products that we are going to get later this year. Um, I'm, I'm trying to have a positive outlook on it. I'm, I'm hoping that you are not going to see product, uh, both television and, um, movie wise that basically looks incomplete where, you know, in some cases in order to reach a deadline, companies just said, uh, a script's good enough or, Hey, we'll fix it as we go or that, you know, I, I, we always talk about heroes and how the writer's strike just really destroyed that, how it went from, you know, the first few episodes all the way up to save the cheerleader, save the world were fantastic. And they're just literally like it went over a cliff from there. So that's mainly it. I'm, I'm really curious about the big announcements. I'm really curious about uh, the, the product that's coming. And um, 
I'm hoping to see bigger things at the industry. I'm, you know, very curious about that. And I'm curious about how this fall TV show uh, season is going to be for some of the big returning shows. Like how many, uh, how many are, are people going to move away from some of the longtime favorites because they found other things to do during this time? Uh, is it going to be hard for people to come back in and say, wow, it's been almost a year. I don't remember where we were and so on and so forth. Uh, or are they going to just openly embrace these things like uh, family members returning home? So it'll be very interesting to see because we're going to get our first little taste of that right after the new year with uh, night court. And then soon after, uh, you know, with Abbott elementary and some of the other shows and uh, be very curious to see. Well, folks, that is going to do it for us. I hope you have a very safe, happy, healthy, and wonderful new year, and that 2024 is very uh, good to you. We will be back next week to uh, get this all going again, and we will probably be taking a look at what is coming up with CES as well as any news. Uh, traditionally, this is a very quiet time of year. We don't have a lot of news, but this year has been very unusual. There has been a lot more news than expected. So until then, take care and be well.